Previously on Film Code, another week in the hole as no one cracked the code once again. My code word was New York. Clue number one is it's directed by an icon. Clue number two was Mob. And clue number three was it was from 1985 to 1995. So Home Alone 2 lost in New York. (laughs) I know I'm wrong, but I just want... The movie that I went with was directed by Joel Cohen and that Miller's Crossing. Uh, I haven't seen this movie, but it does mention New York, so I'm hoping uh, that's it. Uh, directed by Brian De Palma, who I know is somewhat uh, of a um, icon, icon uh, as a director, and that is Carlito's Way. The icon that directed this movie, that is Robert De Niro. And that is 1993's A Bronx Tale. Oh, wow. This week, it's Nick's turn with a brand new code word. So the code word this week was blue. It came out between 2012 and 2019. The lead is in the Pest Hotel. Whoa. It is a mystery. Can the losing streak finally be broken? Plus, the guys discuss a David Fincher classic, The Social Network. And the guys discuss their biggest movie pet peeves. All that and more on this week's episode of Film Code. everybody welcome to film code episode 18 19 where are we jesus christ um i really should keep a running tab of these things uh <laughs> welcome back guys my name is phoenix clowning and i am joined here with two awesome co-hosts uh it is bright and early and sunny and i'm so happy to see them both uh first off what's up nick spain how are you man super happy to be back um super happy to hear phoenix say uh what episode is it again this week <laughs> for like the 10th straight week. I have no idea, I keep losing track. (laughs) Happy to be back, happy that it is almost fall. Love some fall weather. Absolutely. Maybe we'll get some fall movies. Mm, Good movies. Maybe. (laughs) Also joining us this morning, he's got brand new headphones so we can all hear him great. It's Nathan Pig. Nathan, how are you? I'm well, Phoenix, thanks. Thanks for shouting out the headphones. Yeah. You know. Big, uh, big appreciation there. Just excited to, to be back again talking movies another Sunday, which is fantastic. Um, just want to shout out real quick. We are doing some special side segments now. We uh, got together as a group, approved the idea of doing side segments. So I put out a solo episode talking about Spider-Man, uh, ranking all the Spider-Man films. There's going to be an episode coming out between Brandon and I talking about the TV show Gotham. And there will be plenty more side segments from Phoenix, from Nick, Brandon, myself, talking about all things, just a little more content for our listeners. Um, so be on the lookout for those. Some are already out. There will be more. So just wanted to, to plug those little side segments. Also, real quick, uh, just want to shout out that we record on Sundays, and it is now currently football season. Uh, so real quick, uh, Nathan, who you got? Browns. You got the Browns today or – or are we losing today? What do you What do you think? 
don't know. See, the Browns never win games that they should win. <laughs> so while they should win this one, I would not be shocked at all if they lose. Uh, so Washington football team, let's get it done. All right. Nick, what about you? Yeah, I agree. Brown <laughs> Brown's always slacking. Um, so, and is it in is it in DC or is it in Cleveland? Do we are there fans there? I think it's in DC. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm gonna go with the upset. The Washington football team. They look they look good against the Eagles. They almost look good against the Cardinals, who are like surging right now for no reason. But right. let, let's go with with uh, WFB. Will WFT. Uh, for, for our listeners who, who want to hear us talk sports, we had another podcast called Sports Code. Um, oh, you can find really? that. Not, no, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> Sports Code. <laughs> no. We'll just, just do our own. Whole, just, just become a whole network of right. blank, insert word, code word. <laughs> I love it. All right. So uh, we are doing a little bit of a throwback this week. Uh, we had no, no really uh, strong major releases. But we've done. What do you mean? And Noah Holmes came out. Yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I got to check that out. Actually, I, I hate judging movies before I've seen them, but uh, I, I do not seem very excited about that one. Uh, but we dug back in the crate all the way back to what 2010. Yeah. yeah. To get one of at least I know I put it at the top of my best of the decade list. And that is The Social Network, starring Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield, uh, directed by, oh, David Fincher. Fincher. Yeah, David Fincher. Uh, Written by Aaron Sorkin, who is one of my favorite screenwriters. Uh, So I uh, hadn't seen this movie, actually, since 2010. And because we were talking about it, I I rewatched it again this past week. Uh, Immediately. Immediately. And I know we talked about this in our last episode about perfect casting. Um, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> undeniable. Jesse Eisenberg was the perfect choice to play Mark Zuckerberg and just fantastic. Great de- line delivery. I mean, Aaron Sorkin, he, he, this is one of the best screenwriters ever. And I know a lot of people are up and down about his style of writing because it kind of speeds through really fast. I dig it, and especially, and it works, I think, for this character. When you think that fast, you should be able to talk that fast. So I think it really works here. Um, Jesse Eisenberg just knocked it out of the park. Andrew Garfield was sensational. But seeing it again for a second time, I really much more appreciated Justin Timberlake's performance. I was uh, I was thoroughly shocked by how much he just, he really stepped into not really, I guess you could say a villain, but like, he was definitely like an asshole. And it was like, it's like, this is JT, you know what I'm saying? And he just really kind of effortlessly fell into that role, which I find interesting because I notice when a lot of singers, especially male singers, uh, get into movies, they usually like to play the hero, you know, the good, or the, at least the good guy. And, you know, for JT to be like, oh, you know, I can play an asshole. I, I thought he really stepped up to the plate in that. That was just really good, also really good casting choices. Um, so that really that really shocked me. But uh, I I put this at the top of my decade uh, list. 
I am 100% confirming that it belonged there. This is a fantastic movie. I love The Social Network. I think it's just a brilliant story. And I just, I can't praise the writing enough. The writing to me just really sells the story. And then you put fantastic acting on top of it. I think it's such, such a special film. Guys, what about you? What were your impressions now that you've seen The Social Network? I know Nick, this was your first time seeing The Social Network, so I'll let you go last. Uh, Nathan, yeah. what about you? What did you think? Yeah, uh, well, I'm a huge David Fincher fan to start. Um, Nick and I are watching through all of his filmography, but there was a time earlier in quarantine where the only Fincher films I had seen were Zodiac and The Social Network, and I still loved him. Um, you know, you can even revert back to, to earlier episodes of this exact show where I'd still only seen a couple Fincher movies. And I said, he's the most precise director in Hollywood. He writes the f- most flawless scripts. It might not impact you emotionally like a Nolan film, like a Tarantino film, but you're going to find significantly less problems. Mm-hmm. He's the most like, you know, let's just pass, let's pass the test guy. Um so I've always been a big fan of David Fincher's and rewatching this again just confirmed that, you know, Nick can back me up on this. There are only two films of all the movies I've seen so far. I only believe there are two movies that I've personally seen that are perfect, perfect films. That's different than five stars. There's a lot of five star films, but there's nothing, not a single thing you can change. Whiplash is one of them Ooh. and the social network is the other. Mm. And I said that long before we rewatched this. Uh, I said that back after my rewatch in June. So I believe this is the perfect movie. Um, I don't think there's anything they could change for the better. I don't think there's a single blemish that you could point out and be like, even if you're being nitpicky, I don't think you can. Um, everything about this is fantastic. The performances, the writing, there's not a single scene wasted. And Nick and I talked about this too. Um, I hate when stories when the main character is in every single scene of the movie i hate that and when you're doing a biopic especially about a figure as important in this era as mark zuckerberg it can be really easy to use him in every scene but they didn't they didn't there were plenty of scenes where mark zuckerberg wasn't in it and i love that want to reiterate to phoenix you stole my point um i watched this back in june um and i didn't notice until right now that Justin Timberlake actually does a good job yeah before that it was just like ah yeah Justin Timberlake's in the movie right yeah that was a little bit of an odd casting decision (laughs) like why would you get a singer why wouldn't you get someone that excels at acting right but he does a great job so um just want to reiterate that uh Andrew Garfield man just puts a bad taste in my mouth after Spider-Man but um (laughs) he's just incredible in this so um I'm gonna shut up and let Nick talk go ahead yeah, um, so like the two people before me said, this is my first time watching this film. So I was pretty excited about it. Um, you know, I love Zodiac. Zodiac's one of my favorite movies um, from Fincher. But this this is just in a whole different ballpark of Fincher. Um, you know, we got Seven and we got Fight Club, which... I think are great movies, but I don't think compare anywhere near to The Social Network just because of how incredible it is. Um, we watched this movie probably what? Is it plus 48 hours now? Probably mm-hmm. going on like 50 something hours. Less than. Less than that. And I 
literally have not stopped thinking about this movie. It's nice. just, it's incredible. Um, my girlfriend started watching it with Nathan and I, and she had to go do some work like 10 minutes in. And I literally told her like after finishing the film that if you wanted to watch this tomorrow, I would, I would watch it because <laughs> it was just that incredible. Um, you know, the comment on Phoenix point about Sorkin's writing, literally there were like, in the bar at the beginning and I had to pause it twice because I was like wait what did she just say what did he just say he he rows crew what like yeah. nobody says that it's either you row or you do crew like none of the and I confirmed this with my girlfriend who rows who rowed you don't say row crew cause, right and I was tripping me up he was talking about like final clubs I was like what the what is he talking about like I literally had to pause and I said, what did he just say? So after like that, that, um, like after that, like peak of what did he just say? Like Andy Sorkin just did a fantastic job with the writing, um, the performances, the army hammers, um, the The winkle by the winkle by, um, (laughs) and you know, this movie was funny. Like I didn't expect how funny this movie was but this is funny we did a Wes Anderson marathon we'll probably do a, like a short on that um but none of his movies other than one even come close to how funny this movie was um yeah so can't wait to just talk more specifics but I, I loved it nice. so I think that's a film called first where we're we're all in favor of a movie like <laughs> movie, we, did, we did it it only took us 18 19 weeks <laughs> we all agreed the lovebirds was bad what are you talking about <laughs> I, I enjoyed it it was oh, bad. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> oh yikes. uh but yeah uh you you pointed to that specific scene in the beginning like that the writing in there like i know it's it can be confusing and it goes really really fast and if you're not, you know, particularly well, me, I watch everything with subtitles, regardless. Like whether it's Psycho. American film, foreign film, I watch everything with subtitles. So that just helps. Um, but yeah, like she even says, uh, I, I wish I knew the actress's name, but uh, she even says, um, she's, she's the girl the, with the dragon tattoo. She is the girl with the dragon tattoo. She's Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's what it is. Yes. Yep. Uh, she even says in that scene, like, it's like you say two things at once. <laughs> and I have no idea which one to respond to. And it's like, yeah, like, that's sort of his writing is, you know, you got to be really quick on your feet. Uh, one, of the sh- one of the shows that he did that I watched a while ago was The Newsroom. And it's pretty much that scene for two seasons <laughs> like, like like it's just people going at like at like top speed great and uh you know it, it can be really enjoyable if you can follow along it can be also extremely exhausting <laughs> at times yeah right. but i actually love that they started with that scene because it just and it ties into a, a, a scene later in the movie where it's like sometimes you know, the, the sheer fact that he made Facebook basically because this chick broke up with him. It is like, that, that's like so meta. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. You know, I'm, he's a nerd, he's a geek. 
and the and I love that it also I don't want to jump too far ahead but like it's just it's a perfect time you what Nathan said about flawless filming filmmaking you start with that scene it branches into why he does it he meets a guy who gives him the the parable that that pretty much matches his situation and at the end he's he stuck at his computer even after he's been su super successful just refreshing hoping that that girl will accept his friend request like yeah it, that is flawless writing like it's just impeccable to take this story which is essentially a biopic and you're not starting from you know his birthday his, you know what i'm saying when he was a kid and how he was when he grew up and yada yada no you're taking a specific instance and going this is what sparked that genius and you end in that in that manner that's that's incredible writing well i think you know biopics is, is one of my favorite genres and i think sometimes these biopics get caught up in wanting to show like too much mm -hmm. you know they they want to cover so much period of time and i think i think fincher um nails it when it comes to making biopics because in zodiac he wanted it to be as historically accurate as possible. And with Zodiac, you can't start with the first killing of Zodiac because nobody survived. So he wanted all these, like, he literally interviewed survivors and people who were in the area at the time. He spent so many months researching for Zodiac. And he literally was like, I want it to be as realistic as possible, so I'm not going to make the first scene the Zodiac's first killing. He, he made it the second one because that was the one where he could get it historically accurate. Mm. So it makes sense from a, a biopic standard. And there's just some biopics that just trope on and on about stuff that don't matter or, you know, are not important to the story just to have, you know, so much time covered. Um, but I think the social network nails it right on the head with the perfect amount of time. But I want to go back to what you were talking about, Phoenix, with the first scene. And, you know, I think that's the perfect first scene, like you said, because you get to know Mark's character so well. Yeah. Because, you know, I watched a video about how the dialogue flows in that. And Jesse Eisenberg will say something, or Mark Zuckerberg will say something. And then she'll respond and say something else, and he'll respond. And if he doesn't like her response, he'll go back and answer something else that she did so that it could turn so that he could still talk about himself. When he was like, oh, how do you separate yourself, um, you know, with everybody who got 1600s on the SAT? And she was like, I didn't know they took the SAT in China. And he was like, no, I'm talking about myself. <laughs> and then they go on for a couple lines of dialogue. And, she, you know, she asked him, oh, you didn't get anything wrong on the test. And he says something else totally different they have she says something he doesn't like her response and he said yes i i got nothing wrong on the test so he he wants to make a conversation about himself he wants to be at the center focal point of that conversation so i think that from a writing perspective just to know who he is as a character was perfect well i just want to talk about too like how they tell this story somewhat chronologically but they throw in the future um, like of the two different cases because if you were to watch this for the first time like Nick was for example you would know things like oh he's getting sued 
Oh, those are the Winklevi. Like, why are they, what are they doing there? Oh, you know, like, I just think it's framed so well because especially that scene where the lawyer's like, your best friend is suing you for $600 million. You're like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, what? That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think those courtrooms, in a film that is flawless, like I said, I think those courtroom scenes are honestly the best of the best, the cream of the crop, because even the lawyers are fantastic. Whether you talk about the Winklevi lawyers, who's the, the man, old man with white hair, or you talk about um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's lawyer, who's the Anthony Fauci lookalike, or you talk about, uh, or you talk about Eduardo's lawyer, who is the stingy woman. I think all of them do such a fantastic job. Um, <laughs> because they even like make fun of I think this is Fincher's little like idea of making fun of how cases go because there's a couple of times in there where um, I know there's one time where the lawyer's talking to Eduardo and he's like Eduardo and his lawyer's like please refer to my my whatever as Mr. Saverin and he's like really he's like really I'm just telling him by his name yeah and he's like we address this and it's like okay whatever and then there's another time too where um eduardo is like the witness in the winklevi case yeah. and he's describing what happened and he's using a lot of he's and him's but he keeps stumbling because he's like well he uh i mean mark went to them and they the winklevi like he's having to explain who each person is because i feel like that's so relatable for court cases and I just feel like that's Fincher's little like toss out there at how structured and like almost suit and tie court has to be sometimes almost to the point where you can't call someone by their real name or right. you have to elaborate every time when you say he, well, who is he? We, you know who he is. You got to, so I think little stuff like that goes under the radar. And that's something that I really noticed the second time around, but I do want to touch on um, the dialogue for one second. Like, uh, Nick had mentioned in that same video that we watched together, and I'm not going to take credit for this. The video said um, that the only time that Mark ever talks to Eduardo is when he needs something. Mm. Like every time that uh, a conversation between Eduardo and Mark happens, that's instigated by Mark, not instigated by Eduardo. The only time that Mark ever explicitly starts a conversation with Eduardo is when he says he needs something because he's like, we need more money. I need the algorithm. I need you to come with me or something like that. So that's crazy. That's crazy. That, I mean, it just shows his pretty much, I guess you would call it controlling behavior, just a, just a dominant personality where it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's something like where it's, he's, he uses people, but it's like, he thinks so lowly of of other people because he's so, you know, I, such a brilliant mind that, you know, even people who are close to his level aren't on his level. And he let, he kind of show, he has his ways of showing exactly how he feels about you, even if it's, you know, very subtle. But yeah, that that's, that's, that's really good. And that's what I mean by Jesse Eisenberg, man. They, like he, he does that role so well like it's just spot on how he like 
is incisive in the way that he just tears down someone, even if it's like with a look. Like even in the scene when uh, Eduardo tells him that he got into the Phoenix Club, or like he got like the second, uh, he made it to the second round. And he's like, you know, you should be proud. That's probably as far as you'll get. And it's just so like, like subtle, but it's such a jab. It's like, wow, dude, really? Like, yeah, okay. there, are, there are multiple of those. <laughs> yeah, were. Like, yeah, even like all the time. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. Even like when he says, you know, he tells him like, oh, it's probably a diversity hire or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. Wow, really? Just <laughs> like, right. Oh, that's a tough guy to be friends with. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and what's great is when, you know, Nathan was mentioning this with the with the deposition is that in one case Eduardo was suing Mark. And then in the next case against the Winklevi, he was like on Mark's side as Mark's witness against them. Mm-hmm. So like in one case he had to like and who knows. They could have been at totally different times. But the movie made it seem like those two cases were going on at the same time just because it's a movie. So in one scene, he's like, Mark, you did this to me. And then in the next scene, he's like, oh, well, Mark and I did this together. So (laughs) that was great. And I think, you know, we'll talk about our film Pet Peeves. So I'm not going to get too much into this. But for them to have sneaky exposition within the court cases that leads into scenes. It, nice. It was great. <laughs> I, like the, I like the way you described that sneaky exposition. <laughs> well, it, it really was because like, instead of showing you like the middle ground, it shows you the end and the beginning, and then it shows you how they got there, which I think is great. Well, I do think that too, they don't show you the true end on how, like why Eduardo's suing him, which is great. Cause I feel like that's such the biggest gut punch in the movie yeah. Yeah. is when they're saying like, how much was his shares diluted down to? How much was his shares diluted mm-hmm. down to? And then they dilute him down to less than 1%. I mean, that's just insane. That's such a gut punch. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I think the soundtrack too is so, underappreciated in this movie because it's so simple i think the the uh theme i guess they use the most is just a piano it sounds like a single piano player i'm obviously no soundtrack expert but um it sounds like a single piano player like the like that sounds very easy to play um so they use that quite a few times and it's effective every single time so i got a question uh, do you guys think that Mark planted that story about the chicken? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Do you think he intentionally did that? Oh God, that is such a good question. Uh, ooh, yes, I do. I think he did. Uh, it's just, it's just so like his character to do that, you know, like. The, like he gets mad at, at Eduardo for like freezing the account or whatever, but I'm pretty sure this was before that. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, what is interesting to me is like, it you could tell that he was trying to push him out even before then, because you see just the way he reacts to the story. It's it's not even it's not like 
overly like, oh no, this is horrible. It's sort of like snide, like, oh, oh, I don't know, man, this is kind of bad, you know? Like, it's like that sort of way I was like, uh, yeah, he probably planted that. <laughs> like, so Nick and I haven't talked about this, so I'm excited to hear what you think. See, honestly, like I'm kind of a couple steps behind you guys since this was my only first watch. <sighs> but for right now, I'm gonna say he did not. He didn't. He did not. I don't know. I just like. I mean, I could see it because like. I don't know. It's just tough because like. At one point, I could see him doing it because he has, like, the intuition of, like, okay, I'm going to try and push this guy out, and eventually we're going to go to court, and I'm going to need something in court to prove, you know, that he's a bad person or something like that. I don't know. I'm I'm torn. <laughs> Nathan? Well, I, I don't think he did. Just on the pure fact that um, at the time that that story was planned, maybe he did want him gone. But he didn't have any financial backing at the time. He was the, the well, pretty much the sole benefactor, Eduardo was, for Facebook's operations. So I don't think at that point that the story happens that he could have done. Maybe he was laying the foundation for his eventual, uh, you know, leaving of the company. Maybe that was just the start. But... I don't think that was enough to terminate him, or I don't think that was the end goal, at least. So, I don't think he did it. I do like the fact that uh, Rashida Jones's character, the other lawyer, uh, she does ask that question, and she's like, it doesn't really matter what the answer is. Like, once that's right. in the jury's head, that's all it right. takes. And, you know, and it's especially because throughout the entire uh, litigation, He's such a he's such a dick. Like like one of my favorite parts is when they're like adding up how much he contributed. It's like it's like okay, so you you gave a thousand dollars initially, and then another eighteen thousand dollars later for a grand total of nineteen thousand dollars. And he's like, hold on, I'm just checking your math there. Yeah, got the same right. thing. Like it's like it's like or or when he's like just looking up. It's raining. It's raining. <laughs> Like, oh my I goodness. saw, I was reading, quick sidebar, um, we can keep this in, um, I was reading, Nick and I watched The Social Dilemma last night, oh, nice. that Netflix doc, and um, wasn't the biggest fan of it, so I was sorting by, like, actually I wasn't even sorting, I just looked at reviews on Letterboxd, and like the fifth or sixth one down, gives it like two or two and a half stars, and it was like uh, a play on words directly out of the Social Network script, and it was like, do I have your attention? Me on my phone. My attention is back at Letterbox, where my company is making more than anyone in this room, or something like that. It was a direct, it was a direct like copy out of the social network script. Only they changed like Facebook to Letterbox. It was hilarious. Nice. Um, I just think that first of all, I, I want to like, want to talk about why this has poor scores on Letterbox. Not poor because it has a three nine or a four zero, but that bar graph is way too janky for for what this film should be. This is again, one of these films that is popular to dislike. And that just frustrates me, you know. Uh, Avengers Infinity War is now one of these movies that's popular to dislike. The Greatest Showman is one of these movies that's popular to dislike. That when you see it, you love it, 
but in a group someone in your circle or someone online hates it and you don't have you like are self-conscious about liking it so you're like oh yeah i don't like it either or like you'll give it three stars but you won't say why you'll just be like oh yeah this is a perfectly made movie there's nothing wrong with it it may not impact you how you want it to it may not impact you like a pulp fiction like an inception but at the end of the day there's no reason why the bar graph should be that janky on letterboxd and that's just it's frustrating to me because it's i think it misrepresents everything this film is <laughs> yeah i'm honestly surprised that this isn't like a prisoners or like a fight club or like a seven that it's majority of four four and a half five stars like how does this movie not have above a 4-0 on Letterboxd it just doesn't make sense to me especially because this is known as one of if not the most Oscar snub worthy movies for best picture like Nathan and I talked about this after we finished watching the movie and you know we have different differing opinions on the King's speech. I don't know, Phoenix, if you've seen the King's speech yes, and what I your thoughts have. are. Um, but I enjoyed it. I gave it four stars. Nathan, I think, gave it three stars. But I, you know, still think that this movie should have beat the King's speech over, yeah. over, you know. So. Yeah, that that one's that that's such a frustrating year <laughs> like like i mean you got inception you yeah. got shutter island which didn't even get nominated you get the social network like please somebody explain to me where the yeah. academy was this year I don't know. like were, i don't i don't remember drunk. what won in 2009 <laughs> um but it wasn't inglorious bastards so i don't know i don't right. know what what the academy was thinking honestly uh, they, they but when drunk. do we ever right right so uh i agree like uh this this movie is absolutely sensational and you know like i said it was it's top top of my best of the decade list and the main reason for that like i said it's the writing the direction it's just impe- impeccably tight bro it's just that's all i could think of throughout the entire film is like how impressively tight this whole this whole movie is from writing to directing sound. Uh, by the way, shout out Trent Reznor was the one who did the uh, uh, score for this movie. Trent, Fantastic come on our job. show. We'd love to have you. Yeah, Trent. Yeah, definitely. Come on, man. We'd love to have you on. Um, I also want to shout out another scene in the movie that I absolutely love is the movie, is the scene where uh, Justin Timberlake and uh, uh, Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg, oh sorry, Mark Zuckerberg and Sean Parker are at this club and he he's talking about the Victoria's Secret model and mm-hmm. he's just like, to me that's so, just a perfect, I don't know if this story is true, I, I feel like it is, but he talks about a guy who, who just wanted to make a shop where he could shop for his girlfriend's, you know, lingerie or whatever and he created Victoria's Secret sold it for four million it eventually became a 500 million dollar uh, business and he ended up committing suicide it was like 
just imagine thinking that four million dollars isn't enough for you like you're missing out on like 496 more million dollars and it's so devastating that you can't you can't wrap your head around it but the whole point of that conversation is to say like yeah you could enjoy facebook making a million or two right now or even in the future or you can put your best foot forward and turn it into a billion dollar company and this is why i i really enjoy justin timberlake's performance more this time is because i the first time i saw it i didn't understand why he was so enamored by sean parker but mm -hmm. this time like i understood the parables i got it it just made more sense and i was like now i get it like that like i was supposed to hate him but at the same time i'm like he's not wrong like he may be paranoid he may be delusional but he's not wrong well also i feel like for what the character of sean parker is especially for the script like before they even made a casting it's this guy who is all talk right right he has an impressive track record but he's also has a destructive track record um so you need someone who kind of gets with girls who are really close to turning 18 or, or just over that 18 mark you've got a guy that you know just oozes confidence absolutely oozes confidence you buy him as the asshole but you also buy him as a very likable guy um someone who there's two sides of that coin right. someone can think wow this is the coolest guy i've ever met I want to be like this guy, but you can also buy him as someone who's like, this guy's such a jerk. I never want to see him again. He's a fraud. And when you think, at least for in 2010 standards, who is someone that fits all those descriptions for an actor in Hollywood? Of course, there's so much talent that someone could pull it off, but I there's no actor that specifically comes to mind that's like, I need someone that oozes confidence and is a fraud. What actor, <laughs> what actor comes to mind? Like there's... Uh maybe tom hiddleston maybe but, but i don't like, even think he could he's play he's a little role. too like so, he's a little too soft yeah i don't think he has like the confidence so it makes sense like of course i don't think justin timberlake's a fraud in real life or anything like that <laughs> man is, the man is very successful but i just think for what this role asked him to do i think he was a, a fantastic choice yeah uh yeah i i i can't I just can't believe how impressed I was with it. And I think you, you bring up a very interesting point. Like the 20, like, I don't know where you guys were in 2010. I don't know what you were into, what you were thinking. Um, I was 10 years old. Okay. So yeah, like I think a movie at, you know, 10 years ago, it's definitely different than it does now. Like I, I was a fan of film, but I wasn't like into like, you know, as deeply into writing and screenwriting and, you know, all of the stuff I am now. And so like, just being able to watch this and pinpoint all of these like nuances, great writing, the, 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 the score, the cinematography, just the way it's all framed. I mean, honest to God, like, I really don't know how this isn't top of the list for for you like it's one of the best movies i think i've ever seen just because it's so well put together like you know what i'm saying we mentioned biopics and i don't think there's been another biopic like this where 
we just we take the inciting incident that builds into you know the entire rise to fame and then we inter cut that with what you would what you would normally call the fall in a in a biopic but it's it's intercut with the rise and it's basically him dealing with the ramifications of what what he what he eventually built and to me like that is just the way that this is done is is so impressive i feel like this is the standard this should be the standard for how you do a biopic from now on and i wish more people were following this formula yeah really well i want to touch on two more things on my end um you know talking about the the biopic is it's crazy that you mentioned like i don't know where you were when this came out because we're now like i mean this came out in 2010 this talks about something that like is current in our lifetime like right. when you watch a biopic about you know like last year ford v ferrari we all weren't alive when that happened you know we oh my god Bean. we <laughs> talk about um you know zodiac we weren't alive when that happened so now we're starting to like get to this point in our lives where like there might be a biopic in like the next couple years where like it talks about something that like we were cognizant during and like i think bombshell is an example of that like the whole scandal at, oh my god phoenix Movies. the whole scam <laughs> no it did not yes, it did. The, whole, the whole the whole scandal at fox like we were cognizant of that so i think i think that is is crazy um but i want to i want to talk favorite scenes because i know what mine is i think as far as like underrated scenes go i think you can talk about so many but my favorite underrated scene is when they're talking about suing mark in the winklevi are like we are gentlemen of harvard we don't mm. sue and you know they're like we're gonna hire the sopranos and beat them up like <laughs> I, I think that that scene was hilarious and i think that's really underrated but i think my favorite scene is and i had seen a snippet of it thousands of times not that many times but i i had seen it a bunch of times on TikTok. Um, when everybody talked about the social network, but it was right after Eduardo got his, you know, shares diluted and he just figured it out and he's in the office and he comes up to to Mark and he just slams his laptop mm -hmm. on his desk and he just has like that moment and Justin Timberlake is just kind of like watching on these two friends just like go for each other's throats. That, that's the best scene. But I want to hear your thoughts. Favorite scene, best scene. Agree, disagree. Uh, I definitely, I definitely agree with the favorite scene. And actually, I would, I would say underrated, not just a scene, but also performances. Army Hammer as the wrinkle, mm. as the Winklevoss he twins. Was, he was so good. Was so so good. And like, it was weird because I was like, why am I rooting for these guys? <laughs> like, like that was a weird thing. The, the second well, this time I watched it, because it's Army I Hammer. I mean, right? no, and I think that's, I think that's. <laughs> I think that's a fair question, Phoenix. I think that's part of what this movie does so well is you were rooting for them because they really are the victims. Like, that is yeah. their idea, regardless of yeah. what, like, sure, they wanted to make the Harvard connection, which probably would have never surmounted to be Facebook. But at the end of the day, like, 
Mark Zuckerberg did steal their idea. He did. Ah. Yes, he did. Oh no. And he led them on. He's, he's, and that's he's exactly concept. Yeah. That's he's, exactly what the movie does so well. Is exactly what you just did. Is the fact that you are like, ah, did he? And I'm like, yes, he did. <laughs> it does it so well that it frames like. No one's really the bad guy because, yes, Mark can be a jerk and you don't want to root for him in certain scenes, but also you do feel bad for him, especially at the end. And the Winklevi, you do feel bad for him, but also they're like, they're I guess, the villains. Like even, so. <laughs> even Sean Parker has these moments where you're like, wow, this dude's cool, but overall is probably the least likable character. I think that's just what the movie does so well is everyone has an avenue for you to root for them. And I think they yeah. like. I think they framed it so well too. Like I know Nick talked about this earlier about the timing of it because for someone that knows the case but doesn't know the details of it, like they just know like, oh yeah, Facebook got sued. They could be like, well, why didn't they sue right away? Like, why does this take so long? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just I think everything's well, so well done. Also, to Phoenix's point is that like this man, Mark Zuckerberg, literally. He had got the idea from them, and he went and said, I want this to be my idea. I don't want some other people to be the heads and, like, the names and, like, the faces of this idea. So I'm going to, like, steal this kind of idea and, like, mash it with something else that I've been doing. And, like, because I had the know-how, I'm going to do it. Because you know damn well he could have easily said, you know what, guys? I think this is a good idea, but I think it could be bigger. Here's this my this is my idea. Let's let's think about doing this. Okay, so you know he here, he could have done that with them, but he said nope. Okay. I'm gonna go with my man Eduardo because it's not gonna... because it's not like he, bam, it's Facebook. Like he did the schools. He kept it to just schools right, for, the right. for the longest time, which is exactly what they wanted to do. Okay, so here's where I disagree. Here's where I disagree. I think he knew almost immediately that he wasn't going to do Harvard Connection. And the reason is because he, he says, uh, what he, he asked him, what's the difference between your idea and MySpace or Friendster? And, he, and they mm-hmm. said, Harvard EDU. And he said, oh, so it's exclusive. And then the whole idea with him not getting into the Phoenix Club and yada, yada, I think he immediately was like, you know what? The whole exclusivity thing, I'm not a big fan of. And but he was I, in the beginning. He was in the beginning, but because he didn't get in and his his friend did, he was like, you know what? Eh, I'm not feeling that whole exclusivity thing. How about I take, you know what I'm saying, the, the, the bare bones of your idea and just add in the fact that anyone can do it but at the beginning, Facebook was exclusive. Like you had to use a Harvard EDU email to sign up for it in the beginning until they started expanding to other right. universities like Yale and Columbia and Stanford. And then eventually, you know, Baylor and Texas and like all that. My uh, thing is like, if you're in a project with somebody and you know what, for class, work, whatever. And they come to you and say, here, this is our idea and you know can you help us you're not going to be like oh yeah let me help you and then be like oh this is a great idea let me go work with this other team who i think's <laughs> better because now that i have their idea then i can go work with this team who i know is better i i just 
I, I, I agree. I, I think, I think the Winklevi were were the victims. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, he definitely used them, and he definitely played them. And I get why they were upset. Like maybe, and that's why I felt like I was rooting for him because I was like, you, you got played, and you know that's not something that you know what I'm saying you can take lightly. You got played. You didn't get any of the work. And he basically, you know, took your idea and made something else out of it. But, you know. Right, because imagine them now. Like, pretty recently, Mark Zuckerberg, like, had the evaluation of $100 billion. Like, first person to ever be worth that much money. Like, well, how do you think the Winklevi are, are off now? Like, they're, I mean, they're probably rich. They're, but, like, they're already are rich. They <laughs> right, but are they $100 billion rich? I don't, I don't think so. Well, I mean, you got sixty-five million from from Zuckerberg. I mean, if if that's not enough, and but, you jump off of a bridge, that's terrible. <laughs> but yeah, and that's that, again like just the intricacy in that statement. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you got sixty-five mil, but he got a hundred bill. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, ain't that a like? You know what I'm saying? It, that's got to suck. And on top of it, now, because he has Facebook, you can't even do Harvard EDU. Like, because mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, not going to be as appealing. So, right. fantastic movie, man. I dug it. Let's, right. uh, let's give our what? final scores and move on. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to hear you guys first, because uh, I think I might differ. But go ahead. Well, it's a five star for me. <laughs> um, love everything about this movie. Like I said, it's a, it's a flawless film. Uh, it's gonna go in my favorite films. So, um, just really enjoyed it the the second time around. This in like a few months. So, really enjoyed it. I think it's flawless. Five stars. I don't give first time watches five stars a lot. I think the last first time five star movie that I gave before this was in April and I've seen like a hundred movies since then <laughs> so this is five stars usually I don't like to put films that I've seen for the first time on my favorite films list because I feel like in order to be like a favorite film I have to have seen it more than than once um, but this is gonna be on my favorite films list this is one of my favorite films so that's that's my score um. I too am going five stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we did it. Um, yeah, this, this is this is a perfect film. It's just no other way to describe it. This is a perfect film. Uh, Should have won Best Picture. Like, it's so prevalent and so important to our culture, especially now. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to see not, the sequel that they do on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, last last thing before we get into questions and what's good, and it's not just a story about Facebook, but it's also like revenge, friendship, betrayal, jealousy. Right. It's all those human emotions that we all feel, which is why it's so good. 100%. Yeah. So for uh, a film code first, all five stars all around. Congratulations, yeah. guys. We finally did it. All right. <laughs> now, let's move on to what's good. 
And if not, dig deeper. <laughs> what has been good for you, uh, Nick? Why don't you start? Oh, shit. I'm not prepared. Um, <laughs> let's let's go on the old letterbox. And, and you know, Nathan and I watch all the same. Uh, see, there's, re- there's really nothing that, that we've seen recently mm-hmm. that's not well known. Um, that's not Star Wars, <laughs> so I might I might have to go back. So give give me a hot sec, if you want right. if somebody wants to take it away. I Maybe. will go ahead. Um, one thing that Nick and I don't watch together is I'm watching a show on Hulu right now called Normal People. It's gotten mm. a ton of buzz. It has very high scores across the board. It is an English show, meaning it, it what I mean by that is. It was filmed in English. Yeah, it's British. So uh, they are, for me personally, a little bit harder to understand. And the terminology sometimes for what they say, I just don't. uh, (laughs) I'm like, what are they talking about? (laughs) Um, But nonetheless, like, it's it's, uh, a great love story so far. I'm only a couple episodes in. I'm four episodes in, so not a lot. But uh, it's only 12 episodes, 30-minute episodes. It's not like an hour long or anything. So you can bang this out pretty quickly. Um, and I, I'm really enjoying it so far. So stay updated as far as uh, how I like that. What about nice. you, Phoenix? Uh, I, too, have had a weird week where I haven't watched anything um, particularly good enough to recommend. So uh, I'm going deep in the vault here <laughs> to find uh, something that I can recommend. And uh I am going with a movie I'm sure neither of you have heard of, but... Uh, <laughs> Brittany Runs a Marathon? Uh, the sequel. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a movie uh, called Baby Teeth. Uh, oh, star- yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, stars Eliza Scanlon, uh, who was also, who was also in... Uh, yeah, she was in Little Women. She was also in The Devil All the Time. Uh, it's a movie was about... She? A, yeah. Yeah, she was the little girl. She was the sister. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn, I did not catch that. Good yeah. catch for you. So uh, it's a movie about a terminally Ill, Ill teenager with cancer. Uh, she ends up dating an older guy who's a drug dealer. And, you know, and basically how her family deals with the tragedy of her getting ready to die, but also the tragedy of who she's decided to be with. It's a... Uh, <laughs> It's a, I wouldn't call it a funny movie, but it is like sort of like an awkward situation. Uh, me being mm-hmm. a parent, it's probably the worst thing that could ever happen to a parent is to, you know, lose your child, but also to, you know, know that she's dating an absolute cretin. So like <laughs> two, two horrible things at once. But uh, I thought it was a really well done movie. Ben Mil- Mendelsohn uh, is in this, gives a great performance. Bell. No, he's he's actually not a wow. villain this time. Yeah, wow. right. Right. So, uh, yeah, Ben Mend- Mendelsohn. I'm gonna trip over that name several times. Eliza Scanlon. It's a great movie. Uh, I, I highly recommend 
checking it out. Baby teeth. That's for me. All right, Nick, what do you got? All right. Well, I'm going to go with another 2019 movie. Um, Dark Waters. Nice. Stars Mark Ruffalo and Hathaway. Um, I think Tim Robbins, maybe. Um, but this movie, this movie's fantastic. Um, I think really under the radar, we talked earlier about biopics that are current to, um, you know, things that, that we know today. Mm -hmm. Um, before Nathan and I stopped watching trailers, this is a trailer that I think Nathan found on Twitter and we watched it a bunch of times. Um, this is probably one of the best trailers that I've ever seen for a movie. Um, so it's just a great story. It takes this concept that seems like it would be dry as hell and it mm -hmm. turns into something interesting and heart pounding. Um, so Dark Waters, that's my, that's my recommendation. Great freaking movie. Great movie. Nathan, what about you? I already recommended Normal People. Oh, yeah, duh. Ugh. Okay, sorry, I've been drinking. All right. <laughs> so it's Normal People, Dark Waters. Typical. The, the Browns fan Sunday tradition. Right, right. Before the game even before starts. Before the game starts. We, we started drinking yesterday. What are you talking about? All right. All right. And that's what's good from us, guys. What's good? What's good? What's good? some questions or question <laughs> that we got uh this is actually a very interesting question i liked it uh so we got asked once again shout out to our man freddie freddie on twitter freddie robles uh you can find him at fred jr x i i i that's fred jr the 13th uh really cool name there uh fred asks us if you were to steal a movie from someone's filmography as your own, what movie would it be? Very interesting question, Freddie. Thanks so much. Uh, we just got done talking about the social network, and I hate to be <laughs> redundant. No, you can't. You can't take oh. the social network. Oh. We just. Oh, that's not. I think fair. we would all do it. Let's, <laughs> see, let's, let's get some uh, different movies up in here, Phoenix. Uh, all right. Um, dang. can we make edits if it's our movie can we change it or is it just like taking the exact same movie with our name on it uh, I think it's taking the exact same movie with your name on it oh okay well that's a little different then yeah. than what I was thinking yeah cause if it, yeah like if you're taking a movie and you're gonna re-edit it then that's your movie <laughs> but uh, I think I'm gonna take the one right behind Nathan man I gotta go with Pulp Fiction <laughs> Uh, like if I'm if I'm stealing anything, I'm stealing from my favorite filmmaker, and it's gonna be the best movie that he's ever made. So I'm going with Pulp Fiction. Nathan. Well, I'm gonna go with Get Out. Um, mm. It's it is a um, not a very well kept secret that I'm a big fan of that movie here on this show. Um, I think Get Out is easily one of the best films ever made. Um, so I just think the the creative vision and everything it touches on from the racism to all the other 
like the horror elements, controlling people. There's so many different elements, the foreshadowing inside that film. Um, love everything about that movie. So if I got the credit for everything Jordan Peele put in that movie, that would be uh, <laughs> fantastic. So that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> There's a couple movies that I'm toying with in my head. Um not as recognizable as, as those two movies. Prisoners comes to mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, you know, David Fincher's Zodiac comes to mind. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like Tarantino <laughs> comes to mind. Right. Um, but I'm going to go with... I'll go with Parasite, man. <clears throat> that movie <clears throat> went, you know... It's not a five-star movie for me. There's one thing that kept it from a five-star movie. Um, but I think everything that this film's done um, for the film industry, it's a, you know, d- very diverse film when it comes to, you know, minorities. It's foreign, first foreign film ever to win Best Picture. Um, everybody, you know, now loves Hong Joon-ho out of nowhere. So if everybody loved me for, for Parasite, I'll take that. Nice. Uh, so that's Parasite from Nick, Get Out from Nathan, and Pulp Fiction from me. But Nathan, you asked a very interesting question. Now I want to answer that. If you sure. could take one and edit it, what movie would that be? And I'll start. I'm going to go with Jordan Peele's Us. I freaking nice. love that movie, but I would just tweak it a little bit. So we get a little bit, maybe make the story come come through clearer on first watch rather than second. But I love that movie, so that's the one I would go with. If I could take one and re-edit it, that's that's the one it would be. What about you? Well, I'm gonna go with Avengers Endgame, uh, the Murderer. highest <laughs> grossing, the highest grossing movie of all time, probably for recency bias. Uh, you know, everyone here in today's world loves Avengers Endgame, but even 20 years from now, it'll probably be the Star Wars of our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing I would change is is not make the the beginning so damn long and so damn slow, throw in some more relevance. Not that I was falling asleep watching this movie, but for as epic of a movie as Endgame is, that first hour and a half is, is, is a whole lot of talking. Um, and also, Big Thorbowski is gone out the oh, window. You Big Thorbowski done. <laughs> so if I can take credit for for making the highest grossing movie of all time, not to mention um, getting to hang out with that cast all the time with the giant ensemble of A-listers um, and just completely trash one of the biggest botched character situations in cinema, I'd love to do that. You're crazy, but okay. <laughs> uh, Nick, what about you, man? Nathan and I talk about this all the time, honestly, um, when it comes to like little changes in movies that make it so much better. Um, a couple movies that come to mind just recently that I've seen, um, if I had more time to think about it, I'd probably think of a better answer. But I think, A, Case, The Devil All the Time, um, I think cut down on a lot of the, the beginning shit that isn't needed speed it up a little bit um, make the ending with uh tom holland and jason clark more tense 
same with Sebastian Stan, um, and just make it not so place beyond the pines-y. <laughs> um, but I think Case B is a movie that I really wanted to like, and that's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. Yes. Um, people love this movie, and I do not like this movie. So what I would change, Jim Carrey, see ya, he's gone. Um, he's never going to be in one of my movies. Um, <laughs> I'd put like, I don't know who I'd put in, in the lead, but somebody who's actually, you know, a capable comedian. Um, but not, I wouldn't make it funny. I would uh, make it more dramatic, maybe change around the timelines a little bit, but keep all the Mark Ruffalo stuff. Minus the the scandal and the cheating and the oh. fucking around, so that's what I would do. All right, that's a very interesting question, Freddie. Uh, I, I we had fun with it. Uh, I would yeah, I, I want to play around with that question a little bit more though. There's there's a few more answers we could give on that, but uh, so that was uh the Q and A we make- got from Freddie again. Follow Freddie on Twitter. At Fred Junior X I I I Fred Junior the thirteenth. Thanks again. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you, Freddie. All right. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And we're going to move on now to our discussion uh, this week. We are talking something that I feel like has come up in a few episodes before, but now we're really going to dive into it, and that is our film pet peeves. These are the things that annoy us the most in movies that seem to pop up randomly at times. Is a part of the reason why a movie might be your favorite and probably one of our least favorite uh, just because they do this. So, uh, Nathan, kick us off what uh is a pet peeve of yours and give me a few examples of movies that have them in there well you know exactly what he's gonna say well (laughs) this may not be number one on my list um because i don't really have an order of pet peeves Mm -hmm. um but definitely one of them if you're a consistent listener to the show you've definitely heard me say this before um i never 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 need to see anyone touching themselves in a movie (laughs) um you know, if you're getting intimate with your significant other, I recognize the importance of those scenes. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't need to see you touching yourself. <laughs> I don't need to see that. No one needs to see that. We get the idea. I'm talking Palm Springs. I'm talking Uncut Gems. I'm talking Shape of Water. It doesn't show that you're lonely. It doesn't show that you're depressed. It doesn't show that you do dirty things to get happy. We don't need to see that. We don't need to see that. That's disgusting. I never, never, never need to uh, see that. Off <laughs> so that'll kick off my film pet peeve. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, well, I don't man. know how I can top that. 
Something I hate is unneeded exposition. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of show me, not tell me, because I think in movies you literally have a window into the character's, you know, thoughts, feelings, and it's so lazy when you throw and and then I was sitting on my chair looking at the beautiful sunset. Like I can I can see that you're doing that. <laughs> Show me something. Show me something. I think a movie that does this great is Call Me By Your Name. Mm. Um but movies that do this exposition, Wes Anderson, um yeah. the Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, mm. Life Aquatic, um, the list goes on. Um, there's a few cases that, that it's okay. Um, we just talked about this movie, The Devil All the Time. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't need to know. Like, it's just so lazy. Like, show me something. You are a filmmaker. You're supposed to create these stories. Create a story. Don't tell me a story. I can read a fucking book and do that. <laughs> All right. Um, this, uh, okay. So, when I'm not doing this show, uh, one of the things that I like to do is edit. I edit a lot of videos. I edit writing, stuff like that. Uh, so you would think that one of my biggest pet peeves would be bad editing. But more than that, one of the aspects of filmmaking that I love so, so much is cinematography. Like, and I will shit all over your movie if it has bad cinematography. But one of the things that I think annoys me to no end, to no end. And I've seen it done multiple times. It's the most basic form of cinematography. And that is, I'm going to put bright colors on a dark background. <laughs> Cause that's gonna make it pop. That to me is the most obvious, blatant, cheap attempt at cinematography. And it just, it'll immediately pull me out of your movie. It'll just make me think your DP is the biggest idiot I've ever seen in my life. It's so cheap. It's so tacky. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I can tell there, there's two movies in my mind that do it. Uh, Waves, that was last year's um, a movie. There's a scene where they're like in a in an ocean, I guess, or, or a swimming pool. And it's dark, but she has on orange nail, like her nails are painted orange, bright orange. So it's like and that's the shot that they use. It's so tacky. It's so freaking tacky. Uh, another example is La La Land. Uh, no. That, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, uh, sorry. That, like, uh, that, that whole scene where all four of the girls are dancing and singing together and they all have on one solid color dresses, kill me. Like, you know, against a background of a purple uh, sky, like, stop it. It's it's tacky, it's, it's bad, I hate it. That that those are just two examples for me, Nathan. What else you got? <laughs> All right. So another film pet peeve I have is Tenant. Um, Nick, <laughs> what about you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, so for real though, um, Nick's heard me say this a bunch. Again, listeners of the show have heard this. Um, I hate. I hate. <laughs> when your main character is in every single scene in your movie. Right. I hate that. I think that I don't care. You will never convince me otherwise. Your story is not strong enough if your main character is in every single scene. I don't care if your story, if your character is God. 
I don't care if it's MLK in an MLK movie. I don't care. Like, your story has to have at least one supporting character that's strong enough to carry a scene on their own. I'm talking Uncut Gems. Um, I'm talking Uncorked. Like, there are just scenes that I just... How is your main character in every scene? I'm talking The Game by David Fincher. Um, I just, I can't stand it. I can't stand it to me. It just means your story is not well-rounded at all. It's like half-rounded because they're like, wow, we need him in the scene. We need her in the scene or we're, 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 we're screwed. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't stand that. So, so because at the end of the day, the movie is a story. It's a right. story. Even if it's a biopic, it's still a story. And a story that's just primarily told through one person's perspective the entire runtime, it's it's exhausting. It's mm. exhausting. I'm talking Greyhound from this year. Mm. You know, it's uh it's it's exhausting. Nice. I still have yet well, to see Greyhound. I gotta check that out. All right, Nick. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, my film pet peeve is just bright colors in movies, like how moonlight's just bright the whole freaking time. Hate that. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I, was um, I, I had I had to take a shot since you took a shot at Lyle. I'm sorry. It's it's the only thing that I hate about that movie. Do you, do you like um, light in the background? How like Jesus is coming from your door? It, you see, like it, it can be tastefully done, but it's. it's we're talking, talking about, about you, Phoenix. you right now. Oh yeah, yeah. You sorry. got like a shining light. In yeah. Your back. Trying to block like that up. You look like you're going to heaven right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hate when movies try and be too funny. Yes. <laughs> yes, you stole my next one. For me, we just talked about the social network. For me, you don't need to, like, throw in jokes about, like, dicks <laughs> or, uh, you know, something that's not funny and, like, be like, Haha, look at me. I'm so funny. Look at me. I wrote this script and it's so funny. If it doesn't um, fit. Like if it's a comedy movie, right. then it's fine. Right. So you yeah. you stole my next one. So yeah, I, I'm with Yeah, we you can there. we can we can piggyback piggyback off each other. Like I'm but talking when just, you substitute dramatic moments for a joke. Mm. Maybe once in a movie it works, but not all the time. I'm talking Spider Man Far From Home. I had another one. I'm talking that, The Last that, Jedi. Nope. Um, yeah. I was talking about, there was another one that I couldn't, that I had in mind, but I forget. Um, when you substitute dramatic moments for these cheap shot jokes, um, they yeah. just, they don't, they, they don't work. Yeah. So go ahead. And, and, you go ahead. And I was going to say, like The Last Jedi, Phoenix hasn't seen it, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. Have you seen it, Phoenix? Uh, not yet, no. Okay. The, the first, like one of the first scenes in, in the movie, <laughs> it's a joke instead of um, something that should be a dramatic scene. Mm. So I just, I just um, think that I love Nathan's double hand, uh, <laughs> thumbs down. Right, right. If he could like pull out a third, he'd probably do it. Um, <laughs> but like the, the, the social network is hilarious and it doesn't try and be funny. It's literally just the dialogue being so creative that it's funny. There's another movie that Nathan and I have seen recently that does that very well, that I was just laughing my ass off, and it wasn't even supposed to be funny. <laughs> I think it was I Whiplash. Think Whiplash. 
Yeah, I think it was Whiplash. <laughs> That's not supposed to be funny, but that was hilarious. Nathan and I quote that movie all the time. That's J.K. Simmons right there. That's, That's J.K. Simmons. <laughs> uh, okay, doke. So I mentioned it earlier. Uh, for me, another bad uh, pet peeve is gonna be bad editing. Uh, like, and, I, and it's only because I do it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm able to spot it, but like weird cuts at times or like like I just saw this recently uh I, I felt bad because we did our best and worst of 2020 a few weeks ago and literally I just saw a movie like last week that would be it is worse than Artemis File no it's I, not what is it I, I, I promise you it is. what is it uh this is a movie called Infidel Never I saw it in theaters all. yeah exactly oh, saw it in theaters, theaters. Yes. it is horrendous and it does uh the worst editing choices i've ever seen so like it's that it's that thing where you'll throw in a scene between one person and a person whom we've never seen throughout this entire movie and it's ridiculously short it's like this character could have said this to herself in a mirror <laughs> And it would have been better than you introducing a character that we've never seen who doesn't come back to the rest of the movie at all. And then she says what she says, which is like two lines. And then it, instead of cutting, it'll like linger and then cut. Like <laughs> it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Like if you, if you do editing, it, it's something that you spot where it's like, there's a certain rhythm to the, the pace of the movie that you're going for. And if you throw off that rhythm, it's really, really noticeable. Another film that does this pretty badly, even though I kind of like the film, is Bohemian Rhapsody. How it won the Oscar for editing, I have no idea. There's literally a scene that has 64 cuts in it. One scene, one scene Jeez. has 64 cuts in it. It's atrocious. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. But yeah, bad editing, I will always notice it. It, it, it'll it'll drive me crazy. Well, my next pet peeve is going to stick to a specific genre, um, and that is mystery films. I hate when you're watching a mystery film and they don't let you play along with how to figure it out. Mm. I hate that. Mm. I'm talking Clue from the 70s or 80s, what? which I know people love. I'm you talking murder. Bastard. I'm talking murder <laughs> on the Orient Express by Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. I just think, for me personally, and I would feel like a lot of people agree, when you're watching a mystery, a lot of the fun is trying to find out who it is and putting the clues together yourself and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And you want to be like, yeah, I thought I know who the killer is. <laughs> I know what's going on. That's a lot of the fun of mystery movies. And I feel like a lot of you out there agree with me. But when you start throwing in details for like your big reveal at the end of who, who did it, when you start throwing in details that there's no way you told us, that you like, oh, well, remember when you, sir, fought him in the bathroom. Well, we never saw that. We never heard that. <laughs> that was not even a scene in the movie. Um, there was never even any indication that that happened. Or it'd be like, well, Phoenix... I know that you were a lawyer early on in your career, so you would have knowledge on that. <laughs> you never told us Phoenix was a lawyer. Never even hinted at that. I had no idea Phoenix was a lawyer. 
That literally, we could rewatch this whole movie. They never, they never indicate that at all. I hate that. I hate that. They like throw in these details to convince you that to like strengthen their argument for why someone did what they right, did right. in the mystery, but they don't let you play along with it. And I hate that. Clue is the worst, worst you defender of this. Bastard. They are. They are. <laughs> they are. Because they run around and they have fun the whole time and they set up these little cl- clues, but they never actually like, then when they go to the big reveal, they do exactly what I just said. They'd be like, and I know you were a construction worker when you were younger. <laughs> and you'd be like, Okay. Wendy, why didn't you tell me that? I will say Clue is one of my all-time favorite movies. When I first uh, got on Letterboxd, you know how they ask you your four favorites? I, Clue was there. Uh, but what Nathan is saying is wow. absolutely true. Psycho. <laughs> like, so, it's absolutely true. So yeah. my big pet peeve is when mystery movies do not <laughs> let the audience play along with the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Moving along. My pet peeve is no character development at all. Yeah. Weak characters. I watch a movie. I love movies that have great characters. Like a um, Call Me By Your Name or like a um, – what's another – like like an Inception. You know, we know these characters. We feel for these characters. We can get behind these characters. But when movies just focus on action, when they just focus on nothing else other than character development, when they are not like, this character is this, this character is that, like, lazy, 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 lazy. <laughs> gray, ha- gray, um, is it Greyhound, Nathan? Yes. Yeah, Greyhound, perfect example of that. Extraction, perfect example of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of these like mindless action movies I hate because I want to know these characters. I can't root for these characters if you don't give me anything other than they're shooting the bad guys. That's a right. bad character trait. You, That's you, a bad character. You, you literally just stole my next one. Is uh, is uh, yeah, yeah. Is like a movie that like say it's in a genre, right? So action or comedy or romance or anything like that but all we get from their character is like that genre you know what i'm saying so like like that's all we get from the story the plot just the characters everything is like well he's an action hero so we're just gonna do action stuff with this guy or hey it's a comedy so we're just gonna tell jokes the entire time uh you know then or it's a romance story so we're just gonna have people fall in love left and right like you know said uh when it comes to comedy uh this is part of the reason why i didn't care for space balls uh you know i, I know that was a big one on jeremy's list but i didn't care for it because it was literally just Who? jokes just jokes and and like for me like i get it it's a parody but even as a parody i'm like you got to take me someplace you know i got to be at least interested in what you're doing to care about why you're doing it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, that, that to me is a big issue where it's like, even in an action movie, like you mentioned Extraction. I dug Extraction because it was really violent and, and had really great choreography. But in terms of like character development, it was like meeting a guy in the middle of like something that was going on and like 
no, better yet, it was like seeing somebody for the first time and then immediately they get hit by a truck. You're like, well, oh, okay, well, uh, all right, well, that's, that's, I don't know anything about that guy. I'm sorry he got hit by a truck, but that's all I, <laughs> all that, I know that's is exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. Not like get hit by a truck, but it's like if you were going up to somebody on the street and saying, "Tell me like a story from a memory of your life." that is not going to be as meaningful. It might be entertaining. You might tell me about how you, you know, flew to Europe and backpacked for a year. That's mm-hmm. going to be entertaining. You know, that's, that's going to be entertaining. But like if somebody, if one of my friends is telling a story about their life or somebody that, you know, I like is telling a story about their life, that's going to be so much more meaningful and entertaining than just some rando telling me about their life. Right. Without giving me any context about who they are. They could be a serial killer. That's why they were going around Europe. Who knows? I don't know. Right. Nathan, any more? Yeah. Um, I hate when, and I'm going to, again, stick to a specific, not genre, but um, like type of movie is book adaptations for movies. I mm. hate when like movies and studios feel this responsibility that they have to include something because it was that way in the book. Yes. I I hate that. Um, Biggest, uh, biggest, biggest offender of this is it chapter chapter two. two. Yes. I hate that because (laughs) I cannot tell you when this movie came out around this time last year, they did this stupid shit with the alien (laughs) and the Indian people brought the alien up and raised him. That did not fit the movie at all, at all. And they have like, like um, Mike, I believe, is is the black guy's name in it, uh-huh. in it. And he had like he's explaining to Billy about the Indian people, and they like go inside this mind, and none, none, none of it, none of that none worked, of <laughs> and. Um, I can't tell you how many people online told me, well, that's how it is in the book. Okay, I don't care. (laughs) Did you know? Did you know in the first It book, they have an orgy? Yeah. Did you notice that's not in the movie? But it's in the book. But wait, but it's in the book. Right. No, there is a responsibility for the studio to determine what translates to the screen and what doesn't. I said this, Phoenix, and you know this because we talked about this a lot about To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. A lot of people love that movie. I didn't because I thought it was so dry and so boring. But <laughs> with a book, you have so much more freedom because it's longer. It's You are taking the uh, audiences, the readers' imagination because we could all read the same book, but Phoenix could picture something different than Nick, than what I picture. We could all picture different things about the same story. But with a movie, you're telling them what to picture. And I just think that with book adaptations, you got to cut some things out. Some things just don't work. There's a reason why that orgy scene from It is not in the It movie. There's a reason why. They should have cut the alien stuff out. We just recently watched Benjamin Button. I said that in my review that a lot of that stuff doesn't need to happen just because it's in the book. So <laughs> I, I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off that, but I'm going to do it the other way around. I hate when movies – add things to book mm. adaptations that weren't even in the book. Mm. Um, Artemis Fowl was a big example of this. I, <laughs> reading the Artemis Fowl books in in uh, in um, elementary school, middle school, 
a lot of the shit that happened in the movie never fucking happened in the book. <laughs> they just added a bunch of shit because they felt that it was cool. Uh, another perfect example of this is Ready Player One. Oh. This was one of my favorite movies. Favorite movies. And I was like, you know what? It'd be cool to read the book because I was talking to some people at work about it. And they were telling me how good the book was. So I got the audiobook. I listened to it. Rewatched the, the movie with my girlfriend. And it dropped. It <laughs> dropped so quick for my favorite films because I the thing, the changes that they made weren't even in the book they weren't even in the book they just added them because they they were like oh well you know we're just gonna add this like phoenix you've read the book i assume i have not read the book okay well in the book oh this, this is my number one pet peeve from that movie in the book when um and for those of you who've read ready player one seen player ready player one in the movie the um artemis like gets kidnapped taken to the loyalty center they break her out right great in the book um oh, fuck, what's his name the main character who what's the main character's name? No, no you don't you've seen the movie phoenix i've seen it recently <laughs> okay anyway the main character he breaks he literally has this whole plan about him going in to the loyalty center he like hacks the system, he breaks in, he gets all this information, and then he gets out. That's so much cooler than what they did in the movie. And there's so many like little changes. I could talk for hours about this, but there's so <laughs> many little changes that from the book to the movie that were to shorten it, but they took away so much good that was in the book that it just ruined the movie for me. So that's a that's a pet peeve. Yeah. Uh yeah, I agree with both of those. Uh, I mean, adaptations, I get it. They're they're super hard. But uh, actually, that that's probably my next one is, uh, like, I'm, I was a big fan of the Hunger Games series, uh, mm -hmm. both the books and the movies. I actually think they're, they're pretty on par. Um, uh, I just started, recently started the Harry Potter, Potter uh, series. I haven't read the books yes. yet, but uh, I'm going to check that out. But uh, the biggest franchise that I was like, once I finally like started getting into movies, the biggest franchise that I fell in love with was Twilight. Freaking loved uh, the Twilight movies and loved the books. Uh, haven't seen them since like, you know, probably like 2012 or whatever, but like I, I was enthralled with that whole thing. But the one thing- You and every teenage girl out there, Phoenix. I know, right? Uh, the one thing that pissed me off about that movie and Hunger Games and even Harry Potter, even though I haven't even finished it, I kind of really, really hate when they change directors in the middle of a franchise. Like, to me, it's just a weird thing to do. Like, and it's most noticeable in the, in the Twilight franchise. If you were a fan of the Twilight franchise, you probably liked the later movies. I don't know why. Me personally, I think that first Twilight movie is the is the best of that series. A lot of people hated it because it was really dark. It was really gray, was really kind of somber. wasn't wasn't exactly like you know this I guess fever dream that they were picturing when they were reading the book. But I loved it. I thought she matched the tone of that book really really well. And I was really hoping she, uh, the director, I think her name was Catherine Hardwick. I'm not sure, but I think she uh, that was the only movie she did. And I was like. 
I really wish she had been able to continue the series just in her vision. Like a lot of people get mad because, you know, it's in that movie that you see the sparkles on uh <laughs> on Edward and that's the thing that everybody's like, oh, it's awful, it's so terrible. I'm like, I don't know, it worked in the concept of that, in the context of that film. Uh, but yeah, I just think it got brighter as it went on. It looked digital as it went on. I liked the the grayish kind of grainy version that she put in there. So when directors change, it's, it's not a favorite of mine. The same thing is true in The Hunger Games. Just the tone from Mockingbird. Was it Mockingbird or Mockingjay? Mockingjay. Uh, what's the first one? Was it just The Hunger Games? Yeah, just Hunger Games. Okay. So the, the, the tone from The Hunger Games to Catching Fire, I think, is dramatically different. It's one of those things I just can't stand. It's a personal pet peeve of mine, but I would rather, if you're going to do a series, stick with the same director so you can set the same tone for the rest well, of the series. Well, I, I will, think it depends. I yeah, will defend, it definitely depends. I will defend Harry Potter for a minute without spoilers because you haven't seen it. But the first two Harry Potter movies are both directed by Christopher Columbus, and those are supposed to bring this this youthful vibe. And Christopher Columbus is known for doing youthful movies like he did home alone, home alone. exactly right. so like doing these stories from kids perspectives is just what he's good at um and then when you move to prisoner of azkaban and again no spoilers for you phoenix but that is just tonally so much more of a different film than the first two and it's actually where the stakes start to actually feel real where they don't really feel that real in the second one so that's where alfonso Caron comes in mm. which I don't need to explain Alfonso Cuaron because those are that saying. And then when they get to Order of the Phoenix, which I still think is the worst one, but then they go with David Yates throughout. So there's definitely some continuity there. But at the same time, it's needed because if Christopher Columbus did all eight of them, they would never get serious. Perhaps. Yeah. And, and see, I can, I can defend that from the, the new Star Wars trilogy. They went with Ryan Johnson or they went with J.J. Abrams in the first movie. He had a totally different vision than J.J. Abrams, who came in, or Ryan Johnson, who came in, directed the second one in the sequel, and then J.J. Abrams came back and had to redo everything that Ryan Johnson messed up and then fix that and do see, a totally different storyline. Yeah, messed that, that, up. yeah, see, that's, that's just messy. That's messy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I got one more. Um mm -hmm. I, and I'm sure as we watch more movies, I can start taking notes every time I'm like, ah, I hate that. Um, but just the big ones. Um, I hate when we get exposition over news channels. I hate that. <laughs> I think that's so lame. I think that's so lazy. Like when the characters are like, uh, like uh, this is a two for one, both having to do with news channels. Like when either it opens and it's like, the city's been on fire for 28 days now or some, some stupid shit. Like, I hate that. Or um, just, I don't know, like they click on the TV and they're watching news about exactly what's going on. I, I can't stand that. So my second point, which has to do with news channels, is I can't stand when a character's just like chilling and then someone walks in the room and they're like, did you see what's going on? Turn on the news. And they turn on the news and it's exactly what they're talking about. And I'm sure if there was some like, grand disaster some big thing right it would be on all day long 
Right. But the reality is, is if it's like a smaller situation, it's the fact that you turn on the news and you, <laughs> the, the minute you turn it on, they're talking about it. It's just kind of unrealistic. <laughs> so I just, I really, everything that has to do with news, if it's, unless it's like not, if news is not the main point of the, the movie or show, like the morning show or something like that, like news dramas, they they usually botched. I, I hate news exposition. <laughs> the only time it works is in Arrival. The only time it works Ugh. is in Arrival. Ugh. Oh my god, dude. What a horrible movie. Because <laughs> you don't understand it. Sure. Okay. Sure. Whatever. That means Tenet was a masterpiece then. <laughs> no. no, it's not. Uh, speaking of exposition, Tenet, my God. <laughs> my God. Like, I normally am like, you know, I, I'll, I can do some exposition. It's fine. Maybe this story needs it. You know what I'm saying? Like Inception. The exposition there definitely works. It, it's needed. You're explaining a very difficult concept. Uh, but even it, in that, they like tie it into conversation, right? Right, and right. make it seem natural. It makes it seem natural. Like Tenant Man is just straightforward, like in your face for an hour, like exposition, exposition, like just like jizzing all over the page. Exposition, like this is yeah, what we're Tenet, doing. Tenant is Garbo, <laughs> and uh, and like I still like the movie, but like yeah, like at that like. When the entire first hour, that's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So, like, I think I think you even mentioned this before, Nick. Is just like you know, too much exposition can really ruin a film. Yes, you sir. Only, yeah, you only need to give it to me in doses, really, in doses. Uh, I think that is that it for everyone. That's it. That's uh, it. Nathan, I'm actually shocked you didn't mention. Uh, Plot coincidences. Figured you know, that. I I did think about it, but I think that's less of a pet peeve and more of just like a because when I think of pet peeves, it's like tailored to a specific person. Mm -hmm. It's not like very big things. Like for example, right? Let's not even talk about movies. Let's talk about life. <laughs> like I think it's kind of cheap to say, well, I it's a huge pet peeve of mine when my dishwasher's broken. Like, well, everyone hates when their dishwasher's broken. <laughs> like, no one enjoys that. Right. You know what I mean? Or no one's like, oh, my dishwasher's broken? Ah, that doesn't bother me. Right, but you right. can say, like, it's a big pet peeve of mine when... People drive you slow. You don't, you don't close the drawer all the way. You leave the drawer right. open a little bit. Right. Like, okay, that might not bother you, Phoenix. Right. And that doesn't change how you operate. But that bothers me. <laughs> you know, something like that. Or, you know... I'll leave I, all the drawers half open. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, I was just using that as an example. Oh, okay. That you know, would actually drive me crazy. I'm see, not like lie. that doesn't, <laughs> that's not something that like, I feel like it's got to be tailored to you. I don't think anyone sits there and goes, I like plot coincidences. <laughs> or, they don't, they don't bother me. Oh, you know, that doesn't bother me at all. Oh, you know, Jonathan Majors was going to take a dump in the middle of the woods, and he, the one spot he decides to take a dump, there's gold right there. Oh, that's totally fine by me. I don't think anyone's like that. But if that makes sense. Um, of course, I hate plot coincidences, but find me someone who doesn't. Right. <laughs> Thank you.
time we are ready it is officially nate uh nick's code word i'm so excited because i think after what five six weeks we're finally gonna crack it <laughs> I yeah. hope. nick remind everyone what your code word was and all of your clues please yes so the code word this week was blue okay <laughs> I was, I, it was blue, mm-hmm. um, so sticking with the color theme. It came out between 2012 and 2019. The lead is in the Grand Budapest Hotel. There's actually two people in the Grand Budapest Hotel. And you the movie Whoa. is a mystery. <clears throat> All right. All right, well, since since Phoenix so dead set on what he's got, let's hear it. Oh, you want wow, to I start? Wish, I wish we would have known there was two. <laughs> you kind of tossed that out there last minute. Okie doke. Uh, so now, he, now Nathan is frantically searching. <laughs> last minute lobbing. Right. To just throw us off. So, uh, so last time when your your code word was pink, it was because the the uh, poster had pink in it. So I was thinking. Hopefully that's the same thing he's doing this time is that there's blue in the poster. So that's, that's where blue comes in. Uh, the movie I got is from 2017. That's right in between that time frame. Uh, the actor who was in the Grand Budapest Hotel, I went with Willem Dafoe, uh, who was also in this movie. And uh, mystery, well, this is a murder mystery. So I actually went with Murder on the Orient Express by Kenneth Branagh. The reason is the uh, poster has Murder on the Orient Express in written in blue. So that is my pick this week for the code word. All right. Nathan. Well, due to that last minute lobbing, which <laughs> uh, was unfair, uh, mine is wrong now. So. <laughs> Uh, wish, wish you could have said that earlier, but um, this is wrong after I did real research on it. Um, I went with 2016's Manhattan Night, which, oh, I saw that too. <laughs> which stars Adrian Brody, who's obviously in the Grand Budapest. It doesn't have anyone else uh, in it, so uh, that was that was my pick. What do you have another pick since you were you were searching? <laughs> Um, well, since when the entire time I was searching, I was not looking for two people. No. <laughs> the kind of a pull the rug out from under you moment. LMAO. I think, okay. we, should, I think we should get half points for that. <laughs> well, I think Phoenix was close on the oh, one code word with cool. the blue um, being in the poster because the poster is pretty much blue. Um Nathan was pretty close on the um, New York side of things, <laughs> um, but the mo- the movie that I went with is Motherless Brooklyn. Oh, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> I believe it came out in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Um, Edward Norton is in it, mm-hmm. and he actually directed it. 
Um, and William Defoe is in it. So that was my movie. So, oh my god, it's so close. <laughs> Nathan. <laughs> He's so upset. So wait, where did the next boom? time I, next time I'm gonna lob in this like this this clue that just throws everyone for me. <laughs> so wait, where did the blue come in though? There's blue in the poster. Is it? That's like green. That's like teal. <laughs> it's blue. <laughs> I would say that's blue. Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, that was mean. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. I, I should have really gotten that. Uh, I'm mad. Okay, but um, damn, that's what six weeks now still. No damn. one's cracked the code. We gotta get better at this, guys. <laughs> All right, so uh, it is actually Brandon's uh code word for next week, which he sent to us since he couldn't be here today, and his code word is green. His uh, clues are there's a comedy actor in it. It is from 1990 to 2000. That's a nice little wide uh, year range. And uh, it involved a breakout role. So. God, talk about just just vague vague as hell. (laughs) We're getting we're we're getting more clues out of that man. That's not that's not good enough. (laughs) Yeah, that's not that's not nearly as good enough. So. supremely vague but there it is code word is green for next week so uh once again off the mark on the code word this is getting awful all right (laughs) so uh that's gonna wrap it up for us guys we're gonna get up get on up out of here uh nick remind everybody where they can find you yes find me at nick spain on film code or film code um (laughs) there was the message that just popped up uh, from Nathan, um, Letterbox. Geez, that that came across the top. Um, Nathan and I are going to be finishing our David Fincher marathon within this next week. Um, we'll be probably watching a bunch of classics sometime soon. Um, but we're also going to be starting up PTA marathon. Paul Thomas Anderson. So excited for there will be blood, boogie nights, uh, the master. So follow along for that. Nathan, where can everybody find you, man? Yeah, you guys can find me on Letterboxd at Nathan Pig. Uh, I got a little lightning symbol next to my name. I will follow you back immediately if you let me know you're a listener of the show. Uh, just go ahead and, and do that if you are. Uh, also, make sure you follow the show over on Twitter at FilmCodePod. We do a ton of different things to interact with you guys. Even now, we're looking into doing some special things where you can come on and do a Q&A with us or even maybe do a discussion with us as well. So if you're interested in doing some things like that, it's an absolute necessity that you follow the show over on Twitter at FilmCodePod. Also, however you're listening to this, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star review, however the rating system works on the app you are listening to please do that it helps us reach new audiences we're still growing and it helps us a lot so please go ahead and do that if you haven't already it would mean a lot and thank you guys for listening really appreciate it absolutely and my name is phoenix clouden you guys can find me on letterbox at pa clouden and also on twitter at i m h o reviews one that's the number one 
And like Nathan said, please follow us on Twitter as well at Film Code Pod. We are doing a lot more interactive things with you guys. We can't wait to keep talking movies for you. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Peace.